everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts. As usual, my name is Jeff. And also, as usual, joining me from the Pacific Northwest remote studios is Mark A. Johnston. Mark, how you doing, man? Hey, and usual, as usual, my name is Mark. So we got a lot of usual stuff going on. I'm doing great, man. The, the weather here is fantastic. Uh, I got to work the Mariners game yesterday. It was a really fun one. And uh, so things are things are going so much better. You, I think you'll see in this episode today, it's fun that baseball is back because it gives us so much more kind of new things to talk about that we would be talking about, you know, if we started a baseball history podcast 20 years from now. So we can talk right. about those things too, which is fun. Plus, we just like to talk about baseball. So let's get right into it. We have got a absolute jam-packed show today. Now, so let's, uh, Mark, now we got some some physical mail this last week, okay. which is really cool. Okay. Uh, do you want to tell them about what happened? Sure. Um, a listener named James Shaw, who, who said uh, that he enjoys the show and he got hooked on it, which is what we want all of you to do. And he sent us a package with some pretty cool cards in it. He uh, had found some uh, packs and started opening them and found a few cards he thought we would enjoy. So I wanted to say thanks you, thank you to uh, James Shaw. Appreciate it. Appreciate the mail. I really like the Robin Yunt, 87 Donruss. And this has one of Jeff's favorite cards in it, too, the record steel, uh, the Leaf card with Ricky Henderson on the front. That's a, that's a good-looking card. That is one of my favorite cards. And any time you get to hear Mark pronounce Robin Yount's name, it's always good yes. comedy. So I love Robin Yount. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so thank you, uh, thank you, James, very much. That was very, uh, very appreciated, and that's awesome. And uh, we appreciate uh, you and everybody else listening. Little little housekeeping thing here, Mark. We have since the beginning of this podcast, we have talked about Henry Aaron multiple, multiple times. Obviously, yes. I mean, he's, he's he's a very key player in the history of Major League Baseball. Well, I read something this last week that I wanted to make sure that we took into account. So we generally try to avoid naming the teams from Cleveland and Atlanta. Just don't don't want to offend anybody. Uh, we also have been calling Henry Hank Aaron quite often because I you know, when I, that when I grew up, that was what people that's how I heard him referred to was Hank. Apparently, Henry did not like that. He would rather be called Henry Aaron. And uh, Baseball Reference has actually gone through and updated their page. So it just says Henry Aaron. I'm going to go ahead and I think I th- we're going to go ahead and, and do our best. Try to to honor his request. And it might take a little bit of time, but we're going to just refer to him as Henry now on instead of instead of Hank. Hammer and Henry. Hammer and exi- well, You know, I think Hammer and Hank is okay. But we're going to call him, we're just going to go with with Henry most of the time because that's that's what he wanted. In our weekly Tim LaCastro update, this is a segment straight up. Yes. <laughs> well, this is the last one. He was finally caught stealing last week. Jan uh-huh. Gomes nailed him for the first time in his career. Tim LaCastro wow. was thrown out stealing. He is now 29 for 30 to start his career. Congratulations. It's not as impressive. No, yeah, I mean, really, it's nowhere to go but down from here. But that's... The 29 for 29, that's impressive. Yeah, it is. So congratulations to Tim LaCastro. You now hold the record all to yourself. And what would be more impressive is if he started another 29 consecutive stolen base streak. Oh, yes. 
Let's see if he can do that. And will it take another five years? Picks the spots. Corbin Burns of the Milwaukee Brewers. What a, but he and Lance Lynn have been very impressive to start the season in terms of being efficient. So Corbin Burns started this season. He struck out 30 batters and has walked none in his first three starts. That is impressive. The first player to do so since 1906. And I'm going to just straight up admit I did not look up to see who the player in 1906 was that did this. So um, if somebody wants to do that, maybe we'll have to we'll have to circle back on that one next week if we can remember to do so. We have talked about this many times before. Uh, Paul O'Neill in baseball reference with his kicks reference. (laughs) Yes. Yes, we like to talk about that. There's a new one and I love it. We've talked about Dave Brezhnehan before on the show. He is that, if you remember, he was the catcher that uh, decided that he was going to uh, smuggle a potato out there with him. (laughs) And with a runner on third, overthrow the third baseman with the potato so that the runner would think he could stroll home where he'd be tagged out. So uh, Baseball Reference has updated uh, Dave Bresnahan's uh, page to also, uh, it says throws and it says potatoes. So I thought that was pretty, pretty good. They've got a good sense of humor there. Uh, I watched a video on Dave Bresnahan. He really had to think this out. Like a lot of planning went into this because he didn't just walk out to start the inning with a potato in his, you know, in his hand or in his pocket. What he did was once the guy got on third, he pretended that his glove broke. And so he had to go into the dugout to get a new glove in which he had already smuggled the the potato. And then he took it out there, and then he had to really work hard as the pitcher was starting his windup, grab the potato out of the mitt so it was in his throwing hand so he could catch the pitch. So he caught the pitch and then threw the potato that was in his hand. So he had to, it was, there was some work to do there. It's, uh, you know, it's one of those stories, those baseball lures it's classic because the runner on third, he didn't know what to do. He didn't know if it was a Rawlings or a Russet. So he was <laughs> just stuck. The umpires didn't either. They didn't. It wasn't until they went and retrieved the potato and then they decided, what in the world is this? And kicked him out. It's a good thing they didn't pitch it because that potato would have been mashed. God, so many spud jokes. I, and these are on, now, this is impressive because these are on the fly. You didn't know I was going to talk about this. all right uh let's go why don't we i hate to do it but uh i think it is probably time that uh we do a little we do a little kangaroo court action here i've gotten to not like kangaroos (laughs) or courts uh, of any sort but you know who who has probably informed us of uh of said kangaroo court needing to be in session the uh the kangaroo cop. Yeah, the kangaroo cop. It's right. Our one of our uh, regulars, Marshall, has sent us a couple of things here. It's never good when you when when I have to say a couple of things. So a couple of episodes ago, now I misspoke. I said something about the '67 Mets miracle Mets, which is obviously the '69. I you know I just misspoke. The the seven and the nine they look alike when you say them. That's my excuse. So, uh, I, you know, I'll take the hit. It was, uh, it was, it was a small one. But Mark, you really, he really took aim at you. 
And <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know what? And I actually did offer up a bit of a defense this time, and he he accepted it. I am still guilty, but he rescinded the fine aspect of it. Yeah, but now so. here here's the thing, though, is that I am the judge in this court, and <laughs> I am oh. the, the I am the only law. <laughs> And uh, okay. if there is one if there is one rule in kangaroo court, it's that you cannot put up a defense. So I'm going to have to throw the book at you now. First of all, let's 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 talk about what brought this fine up is that you had mentioned at one point that Tony Pena was originally an outfielder and then he ended yes. up being catcher because of his arm. Well, Marshall took offense to that and said he could find nothing on Tony Pena that said he ever played the outfield until he was 30 years old in the big leagues. And then apparently you came back with, well, in high school, he was an outfielder. No, I said my original quote was he was originally an outfielder. He didn't start playing as a catcher until 77 when playing in the minor leagues. This was a quote from Baseball Digest by writer Barry Wilner from April of 1985. That's where I got it. But Marshall, and I trust him, says that that is not exactly true. He did not play outfield in the minors. Um, he played some outfield in high school or amateur leagues, but uh, the the quote I used was incorrect, and I uh, I admit I did not double-check it. Yes. So uh, no more trusting Barry Wilner. <laughs> yes, but again, since you did put up a defense, I'm going to go ahead, and uh, Marshall wanted to find you 1950 corresponding to the games caught in Pena's career. So I'm just going to go ahead and double that. So that's going to be almost a $40 fine for you. <laughs> well, I, I'd like to take back my defense and plead guilty. <laughs> nope, too late. Too late. Does not work. <laughs> All right. So thank you for pointing that out. Now, we did get another mention, uh, and I have not been able to confirm this yet. I have not gone back and 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 listened to a, a, our former episode where this went down. So there is a, a gentleman. His name is Adam Dorowski. Dorowski. I don't want to say that wrong. He is actually the head of user experience at Baseball Reference, a site we might use every now and then. Uh, recently, yeah. though, he was a guest on the Baseball Beyond Batting Average podcast. Our friends over there. And it was a great episode. I, I had actually, you know, sent them a DM saying that I, how much I really enjoyed that. He, he talked about some of the new stats that they're going to be debuting and what they mean, as well as just a whole bunch of, of good baseball history stuff. So we actually exchanged a couple of, of uh, things on Twitter. And he said that uh, he found uh, something that we need to go to court for. He said that in a past uh, Wax Packs Heroes, we did not correctly score a Don Mattingly at one point. Uh -oh. We did not give him mustache credit. And then we did not give Tom Glavin a Hall of Fame credit. Oh, my so, goodness. What are we, really? Yeah. So this was for our, our episode where we uh, we covered the 33-inning game in, in Pawtucket. Okay. So I have not yet been able to confirm this yet. I'm going to try to do it before the next episode. I'm going to go back and listen and see if I don't know if that affects the final outcome or not. Probably not, because I tend to lose by a lot. But that that could be a big fine for for you for not picking it up. So, right. Yeah. So right. we'll see how that goes. I, I tell you what, Jeff, I'm just going to say straight up, hit me with a fine baseball reference is never wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, they are, because remember, they've got Ricky Henderson's first jersey number wrong. 
and uh, that has not been fixed yet. So we'll we'll see. We'll see. But uh, we'll, we'll circle back on that. next. We're going to play a circle back song next week. But all right. <laughs> uh, let's look at debuts. This show is debuting on April 20th, 420. Nice. Uh, we got a bunch of good stuff here. So first of all, Bobby Doerr, 1937, elected into the Hall of Fame in uh, 1986. Great Red Sox, great defender, one of the really great defensive uh, second basemen of his time. Uh, His number one is one of the few Red Sox numbers that have been retired. They do not just retire everybody like the Yankees do, but he is one of them. His number one was retired. So he debuted today in 1937. And there was a ton of these uh, this week, too. So I really just picked out a couple of them. And I've got actually quite a bit of information on some of them here. 1948, Richie Ashburn made his debut. Nice. Uh, Ashburn went into the Hall of Fame in 1995. He was the center fielder for the famed Whiz Kids teams of the Philadelphia Phillies. Later in his career, he went on to the expansion New York Mets, where he became the first Met to appear in an All-Star game. Also, 1957, Ashburn. This is a great story. I think we might have touched on this before. He fouled off a ball into the stands, and it struck a spectator, Alice Roth, who happened to be the wife of the sports editor of a local paper, and broke her nose, unfortunately. Play resumed. A little short little pause there because they were tending to her. So she starts to uh, to be escorted up the aisle on a stretcher for a broken nose. OK, uh, nonetheless, uh, she's being carted up the aisle. And uh, as she is being carried off, they they start play again. Ashburn fouls another one off that strikes her as she's being carried off in the stretcher up the aisle. You know, he had really good control of the bat, and he really didn't like this lady. Her husband must have said something uh, in the sports (laughs) column that he did not care for. That's crazy, though. Yeah, another great story about Richie Ashburn. Uh, On short flies to center or left field, Ashburn uh, tended to get mixed up with the shortstop, Elio Chasson. He was from Venezuela, didn't speak a lot of English, and he had difficulty when... You know, when Ashburn would be trying to call him off a ball, he didn't understand what he was saying. So uh, the teammate, Joe Christopher, taught Ashburn to say Yolo Tango, which is Spanish for I've got it. So when Ashburn would use this phrase, Chasson would understand and, and give way and let Ashburn get it. But left fielder Frank Thomas at this time, not the big hurt, the other Frank Thomas, <laughs> didn't speak any Spanish. And he, one time he slammed into Ashburn. And after getting up, Thomas asked Ashburn, what the heck is yellow tango? Uh, <laughs> so he did not <laughs> understand Spanish. Uh, now, this was interesting. There is apparently an indie rock group called Yo La Tango, who was inspired oh. by this story. <laughs> wow. Which is how they got their name. So good for uh, Richie Ashburn had a couple of nicknames. One was the Tilden Flash mm-hmm. because he was from Tilden, Nebraska. Can you name uh, the other one? I can because I'm about to tell you a story about it. He was oh, nicknamed Putt Putt, if that's, that's what right. you were going for. And that was given to that's him by, by Ted Williams, who said because he was so fast, you would think he had twin motors in his pants, which <laughs> is that sounds like a good reason to call him that. That's 
that was 100% something that we were going to talk about for sure. <laughs> Uh, let's see, 1948, Roy Campanella. Campy made his debut oh, today. One of the true great catchers to ever, ever play the game. Yes, really a great, just an all-around great baseball player. September 24th, 1957, he was, of course, well, I say, of, I keep saying of course, but if, if you don't know, let, I don't want to make you feel bad, uh, great Dodger, Brooklyn Dodger. He was behind the plate for the final game ever played in Ebbets Field, as well as the final home game for what was at that point the Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, a couple of months after that game, he was involved in an auto accident, which of course, unfortunately ended his career, uh, left him permanently paralyzed. He was a great, as you mentioned, defensive catcher. He was also great with the bat. Yes. Roy Campanella and Yogi Berra each won their first MVP awards in 1951. The first year where both league MVPs were catchers. That does not happen very often. I'm, I don't know. I we'll have to look. Is that the only time? By the, the fact That's that it says question. the first time leads me to believe it happened. It's happened at least one more time. But we'll have to add that to the circle back list. Let me. Yep. So uh, Campanella was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1969. Campy can be found on a lot of old TV shows, a lot of game shows in particular. He was on, you know, uh, what's my line? Uh, a lot of they had a lot of game shows back in those days where you had, you had to pick out who was lying and you know, kind of like uh, to tell the truth. Those kind of games. So uh, he was yes. on a lot of those. He even appeared in an episode of Lassie. That probably wow. the pinnacle. Now d d you did mention that he had won the uh, MVP three times, right? Uh, I did not mention how many times. I mentioned the first time, but three times. Pretty impressive. Yes. 51, 53, and 55. Very nice. All right. Not bad. Next, one of my all-time favorite baseball people. And uh, I, I, this guy is just such an all-around incredible person. 1949, Jerry Coleman made his debut. Coleman, uh, with the Yankees, the only Major League Baseball player to see combat in both World War II and the Korean War. Wow. Coleman flew more than 120 combat missions and was awarded literally a ton of medals for his service. And in 2005, he was given the Ford Frick Award by the National Baseball Hall of Fame for broadcasting excellence. Jerry Coleman actually volunteered for all of his service. He uh, wow. even tried to get into the army before he was 18 and they wouldn't let him. So he went and played minor league ball until he turned 18. Then he left the team and he went and joined the army. And just uh, he, he was a incredible fighter pilot. He was just he was so proud of serving his country. Just a great, great person. He is one of my all time favorite announcers. Oh, yeah. Famous for, for announcing Padre games. He would had such great phrases as, oh, doctor. And you can hang a star on that one, which I know I say that one a lot. I love that one. You know what he used to say that I loved? The natives are getting restless. <laughs> He's <laughs> uh, he is. He was just a, a really great announcer. Uh, also, 1957, he appeared on the CBS game show to tell the truth as an imposter for singer Don Rondo, who I have no idea who that is. But that's funny. He fooled two of the two of the panelists. They they thought he was Don Rondo. Well done. Had a whole bunch of very memorable 
off the wall kind of calls. Uh, the <laughs> yes. my favorite of which is Winfield goes back to the wall. He hits his head on the wall and it rolls off. It's rolling all the way back to second base. This is a terrible <laughs> thing for the Padres. <laughs> Yes, Winfield did have his head reattached. Yes. Well, you know what I didn't know, though, is this this, uh, you know, this uh, head rolling off thing led to a bit in the naked gun where they're showing they're showing, uh, you know, kind of uh, the the blooper highlights at the game. Mm -hmm. And one of them is a Mariner going back to the center field wall, jumping up to try and rob a home run. And uh, when he bangs into the wall, his head falls off and rolls away. He goes over the fence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was great. Jerry Coleman. And then our last one, 1976, Mark Fidrich made his debut. Oh, the bird. Yeah, we bring this up. Last week was the anniversary of his death. This week is the anniversary of his debut. We did a really fun episode a while back, over a year ago, on him. If you want to go back and listen to that, there was a lot of great stories about Mark Fidrich. So maybe go back and listen to that if we didn't convince you last week to do so. All right, let's get to trivia, Mark. Last week, I asked you a question. It was, who was the last Hall of Famer to make the final out of the World Series? We've talked many times about Babe Ruth being caught stealing in 1926 to end the World Series for some reason. Did you have any idea as to as to who might have been the latest one to do this? No, not really. I mean, it's it, it's a tough one because it could literally be anybody. Well, again, it, you, you know, know, it has to be a Hall of Famer. I know, but there's a few of those guys. Yeah, but there's... Um, <laughs> there's <laughs> it literally, it's not Spike Owen again. Oh, Okay, so I'm um, okay. I felt I didn't want to guess it, uh, that again and then be feel like a fool, you know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, it's, it's clearly you're struggling on this, so I will give you the answer. The answer is Mike Piazza in 2000. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we we only got one correct answer here this week. It's I'll give you what. Uh, this is an easier question for you. I'll give you one guess as to who got it right. Oh, I know who it was. It was um, Chris from St. Louis. You are absolutely correct. He, uh, of course. I don't think there was. I know. And I, I'm I'm excited when I stump he and his dad, but there was no spreadsheet this week, I don't think. So they just straight out did some research and got it. But yes, Mike Piazza in 2000, he flew out to end the series. Other Hall of Famers who have made the last out of the World Series, Tony Gwen did so in 1984. Uh, Carl Yastrzemski in 76. I mean, they're Hall of Famers, so obviously it's an impressive list. But other other Hall of Famers to do it. Willie McCovey, Louis Aparicio, Red Shondyst, Pee Wee Reese, uh, Jackie Robinson in 1956, Earl Avril, Billy Herman, the aforementioned Babe Ruth in 1926. And Honus Wagner was the first to do it when he struck out in 1903 to end the World Series. All right, so congratulations uh, to to Chris only, because he's the only one that got that right, apparently. Uh, let's go. I got a new question for you. I'm, tr- I'm really trying to dial these in. I'm trying to find just the right amount of difficulty. So this one I'm not so sure about. I think this one's going to be kind of hard, but it involves the World Series again, so you can kind of narrow it down right there. Who was the <laughs> last player to successfully steal home in a World Series game? That's a crazy question. Yeah. Wow. I I mean, I can't believe someone would try. It's been done several times. But this one is, uh, I'm interested to see if anybody comes up with this, because this is not a name you would 
associate with stealing bases, let alone stealing home, let alone in a World Series game. And this was not the, you know, front or back end of a double steal either. Right. You Now, you're, you said uh, somebody who was successfully stealing home. Because Correct. Because I remember yes. thrown out stealing home. Nope. I, I want, um, I want, I want the, the good stuff. I want them to be safe. Okay. All right, so let's let the uh, let's get the grounds crew out here do their stuff, wet down the infield because we're playing a quick team today. We want to we want to really wet down that, that infield dirt. And Mark, I got some stuff today. I've got two topics today. One of which I've been saving. It's not super long, but I've been saving it for this episode because, as I mentioned, this podcast is debuting on the twentieth, which is a Tuesday. That's when we release our podcast. But yesterday. On the 19th, it was Patriots Day. So that means that the oh. uh, that the Red Sox will play an early morning game, the Boston Marathon, all that kind of stuff. So I want to tell you about a story that I know you know about because uh, you were the one that showed me this video for the first time a couple of years ago. And I have no idea how I hadn't seen it before. And it happened on Patriots Day in 2007 at Fenway Park. It was uh, the Red Sox versus the Angels. 2007 marked something new for Fenway Park. They started selling pizza. Uh, A fan named Dan Kelly, he and his wife got some great seats for this game. Down the left field line, couple of rows from, uh, from that point that sticks out in left field. So, you know, they're maybe just 30 feet from the green monster and they're right right on the the field right there. Well, another thing uh, that they have sold at Fenway for quite some time is beer. And when some fans have too much, they start annoying other fans. I think we can all we can all agree with that, that there's always some drunkard that's just an idiot. Well, that was obviously as it is in I think pretty much every section. It was it was the case on this day. An inebriated fan, his name was Jason Soul, had been bothering everybody in this section as he had not only been heckling the visiting Angels players, but other fans in the section for not being as drunk and into the game as he was. So even better. I would have really enjoyed this guy, I can tell you. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, because he was the arbiter of fan interaction, apparently, as some drunks tend to be. So Soul is drunk, and he's riding Kelly pretty hard because he sees that Kelly has pizza, and he doesn't know that they started selling it into the park, so he thinks Kelly snuck this pizza into the park. So he starts really yelling at him, and then he decides he wants a slice, and he says, listen, I'm going to report you and tell them that you snuck food in here if you don't give me a slice, and he's like, no, bro, still not going to happen. At one point, Soul even yelled to Kelly, your wife's got better taste in pizza than in men. <laughs> so, like, making it personal. <laughs> then a foul ball comes towards Kelly's section. Fans are scrambling to try and make a catch. There are people jostling for position. There's a lot of beer and other stuff getting spilled and so forth as everybody's trying to get this ball. Just something something magical happened. So I'm going to just play you the audio here of, of Don Orsello and uh, Jerry Remy, who, of course, were, were partners on the Nesson broadcast at that point. Uh, it's a little long, but this is just great. This makes me smile every time because they just enjoy the heck out of what happens next. So uh, here we go. Left side ranging is Cabrera now coming as Anderson and interfered with no. Into the stands, the umpire ruling Tim Timmons and one beverage wow. less than they had before. 
Let's see, how does this happen? It wasn't oh. even him. Oh, oh. wow, it's Buddy. <laughs> oh, where did the oh. oh. <laughs> What was that that came flying in? I'm not so sure that that was a, a mistake, which on his shoulder, it looks like somebody may have yeah. thrown some stuff on him just to, to add insult to injury. But I'd be kind of ticked yeah. off myself if somebody yeah. fired a pepperoni pizza at me. <laughs> well, he's the Pepsi fan of the game until he gets thrown out. That was unnecessary. That really was a call for <laughs> <laughs> Between <laughs> innings, we did some investigative reporting on who uh, and what was thrown at that gentleman. And that gentleman has been ejected, but it was an ugly, ugly sight. And I don't know why it was necessary. Now, watch. I can't circle. I don't have my telestrator today, but why? Here comes a pizza. See it? <laughs> oh, jeez. Highly unnecessary. Guy with the Patriots jacket, and of course, he's been asked to leave the ball game for ruining a good piece of pizza. <laughs> And here comes some pizza. One more look in slow motion if we can. And here's the Patriot. Here it comes. Just, I'm gonna throw my pizza. That is not tolerated in this ballpark. He has been ejected and never again allowed to buy pizza. Ooh, oh there it is. There it is. Someone should put that in a bag and I'll tell you Take what. Take that away to make sure that they secure the evidence. Yeah, you know, Horatio Kane of exactly. CSI Miami will be here soon to collect the evidence. <laughs> I just love listening to Don Orsella just lose it. <laughs> I could never get tired of that. It slays me every time. Oh, boy. So, I, I, now, you showed me this video like three or four years ago. It was the first time I'd ever seen it somehow. But it was, it, it is just hilarious. We'll put a link to the actual video in the show notes. But... Uh, just we got a little bit more information. There was a story about this recently. So what happened is while the you know the kind of the excitement of this ball coming over, Kelly saw this as, as a time for a little bit of payback for all this heckling and, and the loud drunkenness. So he picked up a slice of the pizza and he tossed it at Soul and he yelled, "Here's your pizza. You ask for it." Well, the fans in the section that didn't been putting up with this guy the whole game, they loved it. <laughs> they all applauded him. Security, as you could hear, obviously did not so much care for it. They escorted Kelly and his wife out. The couple watched the rest of the game across the street at the Cask and Flagon, which is a very famous bar there across the street, where they were immediately recognized when they walked in the bar because Nesson <laughs> had been playing this nonstop. Uh, as I mentioned, Don Orsello, Jerry Remy were just losing it and they loved it. As, as you could hear, uh, the chaos, the piece of pizza smacking this guy in the face and him this exasperated look like, what was that? Well, Kelly is a school teacher, and so he was pretty embarrassed by what he had done. And so he tried to keep kind of out of the spotlight because he didn't want to lose his job or anything for that. Everyone around the city, though, wanted to know who he was. Papa Gino's and Pizza Hut both tried to get in touch with him to do ads, and they were offering lifetime pizza for him, but he turned them both down because, again, he was a little embarrassed about this. Uh, Soul and Kelly have never spoken to each other about this incident. Oh my. Uh, maybe someday right. they can they can, you know, extend a hand to each other and get together and enjoy a game together. But it's like Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan, man. Who knows? Yes, with a little less malice, but uh, yeah, nonetheless, well, without any major injuries. <laughs> yes. True. All right. So I've been saving that one uh, yesterday. 
was Patriots Day. So hopefully they got the game in. Those games get rained and, and snowed out so often. <laughs> yes, that was do. my very first game in Fenway was a Patriots Day game. I remember that. I've been to I've been oh. to a couple, but it was really pretty cool to uh, to have baseball that early in the morning. So the next thing I wanted to talk about, Mark, was something that you and I have traded back and forth uh, a couple of times. It is something that uh, we've we've kind of made a, a, a running list. I think we're going to get more. And, and listeners, please feel free to send us more to add to this list. Well, I, I will tell you, I got into baseball where I really started just living and breathing baseball every day. In, uh, in 1985, the postseason hooked me. In 1986, I just consumed anything I could find about baseball. This list that we're going to talk about for me, starts around the mid-1980s. And what our list is, is things that used to be commonplace in baseball that you don't see anymore. So gone, we're not going to be talking about spitballs. We're not going to be talking about traveling by train. <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to keep this somewhat modern. And some of the things that we used to see all the time in baseball that you just don't see that much, if at all, anymore. I've got a list here. Mark, some of these you've you've helped me with and, and you can add to this as we go along. But let's start. First of all, the first thing that I thought of was turf shoes. Now, there's a, turf shoes, a yeah. very good reason why you don't see turf shoes anymore. And in what case would that be? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there's not a whole lot of AstroTurf out there anymore. But what turf <laughs> shoes are, if you are not familiar with it, is they're molded cleats that you could wear on turf. Because if you wore spikes, you you could you could tear up the astroturf. So these turf shows had little rows of little nubs on the bottom, so there were no spikes. I remember I saw a bunch of players. They would wear these wherever you had astroturf, like Montreal, uh, the Astrodome, all those outdoor multi-use round stadiums. Uh, uh, I re- the Kingdom. I remember yep. I remember seeing them there. Yeah, so it, it, football players would wear these too. I remember because all those stadiums just about also had football, and football players would wear these too. But now the sports turf is the is the way to go, which is a lot more like grass, and, and players tend to wear normal spikes there. But that is something that you just I don't I couldn't tell you the last time I remember seeing anybody wearing turf shoes. This is a big one, and and I never understood this. I don't know what they're called, but I'm guessing that a lot of people understand what I'm talking about. These big puffy jackets underneath jerseys. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Now, to me, these things look like what wrestlers, not professional wrestlers, but like Greco-Roman wrestlers would wear to try and cut weight to make to make weight. It, they just look like they're like rubber and like you would just sweat through them. They look so hot. But players used to wear these underneath their jerseys. They would yes. they even had the big collars that they might stick out, you know, <laughs> and they were not a good look. Thankfully, nobody wears these anymore, but I don't know what they're called. I did. I Google searched for about a half hour trying to figure out what these were called and I couldn't do it. I couldn't figure it out, but I still don't exactly know why they were worn, but. There you go. Some sort of weird Viking ritual, I think. I really don't know what was up with that. Um, next is uh, flip down sunglasses. Now, mm-hmm. you get a, a, the odd player now and then that still wears these. Obviously, we love them because we give you an extra tenth of a point of war in Wax Packs Heroes if you if you wear one of these. You just don't see them very often anymore. But they're cool. I love them. Also, some old stuff. Pull over jerseys. 
So remember, I mean, back in the mid 80s, when, when I really started getting into it, but half the teams wore pullover jerseys and half of them had the button downs. So now just about I will not just about everybody's got button down jerseys. I, I want to say that maybe like I want to say maybe the Blue Jays and the Rangers in those powder blue alternative uniforms they have. I think they might have a pullover version. Really? But I'm not sure. I, I liked them. I didn't at the, at the time that they were, you know, half the teams were wearing, wearing them because I like button downs because the button down ones, you can like unbutton the first two. And sometimes your jersey will kind of flip down and like, you know, Jose Canseco used to look cool because he's so big. And in, in that, yeah, he, I just thought he looked tough like that. Uh, so we've got that. We've also got what about uh, the dugout jerseys that players used to wear that were like satin? They were shiny. You remember those? Oh, my gosh. I totally forgot about those. Yeah, I remember the Dodgers and the Mets, especially. So like the Mets in in, in the 86 World Series, they had some of these. And uh, I remember my dad had one. It wasn't a baseball one. It was he worked for for Standard Oil. So he had a Chevron one. <laughs> but I would wear that because it was shiny like the baseball players did. And I thought I was pretty cool. But you don't see those anymore. Uh, golf gloves worn as batting gloves. You will never see this again because everybody's got golf or golf. Everybody's got contracts with sporting goods companies. So they wear actual baseball batting gloves. But I believe we've talked about this before. Hawk Harrelson was one of the first yeah. guys to ever do this. And that's because he thought he was getting the day off one day. So he went and played 36 holes of golf in the morning. <laughs> His hands were a little raw. And then he was told, hey, uh, you're playing tonight. So he wore his golf gloves to bat. And uh, obviously something that's stuck around, even though we're not fans of him as an announcer. I would love to do a photo retrospective of Hawk Harrelson when he was a, a player, because this dude was a clothes horse. He was a, a, what is a fashion plate. Is that what they call it? Like he he wore the Nehru like jackets. He I mean, he was styling in the day. And uh, I, I love seeing pictures of him in his in his civvies because he really knew how to dress. Another thing that you get extra credit for in Wax Packs Heroes, any kind of art on sweatbands. Right. Now, I, I say this because you don't see it very often. I happened to see it last night, and I don't remember what game. I watched five games yesterday. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> there was baseball on all day long. And I remember seeing somebody wearing Mims bands yesterday with their, with their caricature on it. And we talked about them. Yeah, yesterday. Uh, I remember him, he slid into second. I think he was stealing because he went head first. And in the slow-mo, I saw he was wearing some Mims bands with his face on it. Now, we mentioned them. You can still get these today. Mims bands is 100% in business. You can get custom ones with your face and whatever phrase you want on it. Uh, they still also have ones from the 80s and 90s that you can purchase. Now, they're not cheap, but uh, they're great. If you want to get one from Daryl Strawberry that says, just say no to drugs, which is just the ultimate... <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, well, that's it's, just it's a bit of a ironic, um, a bit of irony. <laughs> yeah, uh, but those are really cool. But you don't see it very often. But as I wrote this down a week or two ago, I did see uh, somebody last night. So which is leads me to the next one, uh, because we hate this. But I saw two pitchers in the last two games wearing high top baseball shoes. Oh, I saw one of those two. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. It was Marco Gonzalez with the Mariners. Yes. And then the next day, it was Sean Manaya with the A's. Uh, now it and was this just 
It was Jackie Robinson. It was Jackie Robinson day. And I know for Mania, he was wearing Jackie Robinson shoes. So I'm going to go ahead and say that it was because it was Jackie Robinson day. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt there. Yeah, yeah. I I hope neither of them wear high tops again because it's just not a good look. I uh, vaguely, I very much remember Barry Bonds, Eric Davis, and Barry Larkin. Those were the first three guys I remember that were wearing high tops. And uh, don't like it. Didn't like it then. It was hip and happening at the time, man. I mean, I remember Frank Thomas did it at one point. I remember Bobby Bonilla. I remember Ricky did it. Ricky wore high tops for a while. Weird. Yeah, I did not like it. How about fighting necklaces? Do you remember those? Oh, gosh, yeah. Everybody had those things. I had one. I had several, to be honest. (laughs) Made me feel so healthy. Yes, really did. (laughs) Uh, So if you don't know, fighting necklaces, these were titanium-infused necklaces that they claimed produced an electrical charge that relieved pain, increased energy, and speeded up recovery. There was and never has been any independent research to back up any of these claims of medical benefits. Now, there have been so many other companies that have done this. Brett Favre, I think, still does commercials for for some kind of sleeve that claims to, to do this stuff, but it's all... BS. They don't. It doesn't do anything for you. But man, every baseball player had one. So, of course, I had to have one as well. Are you saying that the lucky astrology mood watch I have isn't really working? I'm going to say, yeah, you've probably spent money on on something that is not going to actually get you any any benefit. At least it's a toenail clip or two. Okay. (laughs) So it's got some some side benefits there. It's got a value. Yeah. Now, how about this one? So what is weird, and maybe I'm just hyper-focused on this list because I was preparing for this. I wrote down knuckleballs, screwballs. Yep. So we've talked, we talked about screwballs just a couple of weeks ago when we, when we talked about Fernando Valenzuela. Knuckleballs, I think R.A. Dickey was the last knuckleball or two knuckleballer to, to play. Well, get this. Brent Honeywell made his debut for the Rays last week. Brent Honeywell has a screwball and he throws it. So, yeah. So he'll be in the league for about half a season before his elbow goes, (laughs) blows out. (laughs) But it's just weird that we were, you know, it's on the list as something you don't see anymore. And then here comes a rookie that has got a screwball in his arsenal. So that that was interesting. I'm going to have to watch for that. Yeah. Uh, Next, mesh hats in spring training. (laughs) <laughs> so I call these trucker hats. That's what I yes. used to call them as where, you know, you've got the front two panels are fabric, but everything else is mesh. This is what players used to wear in spring training. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I, and there's a, a card that I post often in response to things. It's a Jim Leland Pirates card where he has got one of those like, uh, you know, remember when the Pirates had circles around their their hats? Yes. Uh, it, gold bands around it. Well, in spring training, that was all mesh, which for somebody like me that doesn't have hair, that is not a good thing because you're going to get real (laughs) sunburned up there, especially in Florida or Arizona. So that's a good thing that that's gone. Yes. Uh, Another thing that I wrote down that uh, I've seen in the past week, pitchers wearing jackets when they get on base. Yeah, yeah. We used to see that all the time. Yeah, well, I saw it twice in the past week. (laughs) I'm kidding. Trevor Bauer did this when the Dodgers were in Colorado, and then Marcus Stroman did as well. Now, Hmm. is is this stuff really happening all the time, and I just haven't noticed until I started this list? I don't know. But I've I've seen it. Yeah, I don't know. Everything you've mentioned, to me, sounds like a thing of the past, so I don't think it's that. Yeah. All right, now how about this? This is a couple of promotions. 
camera day. Do you ever remember camera days? Yeah, I remember camera days, sure. All right, so camera days are, you don't get cameras, but you bring your camera <laughs> to the ballpark, and what would happen is you could go down on the field and take pictures with the players. They That's would right. just be there, and you could walk up and, you know, get a picture. Now you, it would probably be selfie day, but that is definitely not something that happens at all, I don't think, anymore. Especially, certainly not right now, but I have not heard of a camera day for quite a while. Uh, I remember batting helmet day when you would get a full, you know, we call them now nacho batting helmets because they generally you get nachos in them. (laughs) But I I remember uh, going to A's games and and getting those really uncomfortable plastic helm batting helmets with the inserts that just dug into your skull. Like if anybody tapped you on the top of those, you were Uh going to bleed out because it would just cut your skull. (laughs) They did not make those. To like sit lightly on on a kid's head. Oh no, those were. <laughs> but I loved them. I mean, that oh, was yeah. a must go to when it was when it was that day. Uh, the the one day I wanted to talk about was Bat Day. Mm-hmm. So you see these every now and then. I've got a I've got a Chris Davis bat that I got a, two years ago from the A's. Uh, but they don't. They're, they're smarter. They've smartened up now. They give you these as you're leaving the stadium <laughs> instead of coming in and, and having beers and you know otherwise you might throw it like you might a slice of pizza but uh, bat days used to be full on full size bats that they would hand to you as you come through the turnstiles before the game yeah oh yeah now this is real strange real strange so i was doing research for these things on friday and i was watching the cubs braves game and I had on the Braves broadcast where Skip, or not Skip, Chip Carey and uh, Jeff Francoeur were doing the, the, the coverage. And so they, for some reason, brought up Willie Harris. And I know why they brought him up. They brought him up because he was the third base coach for the Cubs right now. And Jeff Francoeur told a story about Willie Harris and Bat Day back in 2007. It was a Braves-Cardinals game, and Willie Harris was on the Braves with Jeff Francoeur, and Harris was really struggling. Just couldn't, nothing was falling for him. So Willie Harris said, screw it, I'm going to use a giveaway bat today. What, what harm can it do? I can't get any worse. So Andrew Jones said, if you get a hit with that bat, I will buy you any watch you want. So he went up there with these bats. Now remember, these are not game-quality bats. These are pretty cheap things. Well, Willie Harris went six for freaking six in this game with a giveaway bat. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) That is incredible. Six for six. Andrew Jones the next day came into the clubhouse with his watch guy who brought this huge box full of these really expensive watches. And Willie Harris got to pick out whatever one he wanted. So that, but you should have gotten six of them. Yeah. Well, what's weird is that I was researching this and just had this game on, and all of a sudden I hear Bat Day, and it kind of <laughs> perked my interest. <laughs> I would have never found this story otherwise. That's uh, there you go, Bat Day and Willie Harris. A couple of other That's things great. here that you don't see anymore. This one for sure. You don't see balloon protectors for umpires. Oh, sure. Yeah, I remember those. Yeah. So the, I mean, one thing, one real down side to balloon protectors is it really affected the strike zone because the the umpire if he had one of these in front of him couldn't set up normally to see the whole plate now they were only used in the american league national league umpires would just wear it as they do now inside you know stuff inside their clothes so they could get lower behind the catcher 
So it was thought that National League umpires would call more low strikes while American League umpires, and they were forced to stand more upright, they would call more high strikes. AL umpires switched to the inside protector in the late 1970s. Along those lines, though, also, there used to be American League umps and National League umps, and they... Right. The American League Gumps, I think, were they the ones that wore like the burgundy jackets and the National yeah, League? Was it the Yale? I don't I remember that. which one it was, but they were ugly. They were ugly. And the umps would, uh, on their hats, it would either say AL or NL. And the only time yep. they would mix were the All-Star Game and the World Series. And it was yep. a storyline, especially in the in the World Series, because batters would, you know, an American League batter would come up. And if there's a National League Gump, they're not as familiar with them. Then you get into, are they going to call more low strikes and not the high strikes? I mean, it was always a storyline until interleague play, and, and this all went away. Just one of those things, again, you don't see anymore. Well, along the same lines, there used to be official National League baseballs and official American League baseballs. Yeah, exactly. I've got, I've got them. Here, I've got one in my hand right here on my desk. Uh, signed, I think this is, is it Lewis Coleman? It's an official National League ball I've got right here. I know there is, there uh, was there Bill White? Was that the guy's, uh, the American League president's name for a Bill while? White, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've got those. I, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've got a whole bunch of them. I'm holding an official Major League Baseball from last season and signed by some guy named Manfred. Yeah. We I don't know. Anyway. It's a dirty word yeah, around it's here. it's just Major League. Yeah. <laughs> So it's different now. Yeah, and, and that started, I believe, with uh, interleague play. Yeah, now it's interesting. This, this National League ball I'm holding is black. The printing is black. But I remember it used to be, I think the American League was red and the, um, and the National League was blue printing. I mean, there were differences. Yeah. So, yeah, something you, you don't see anymore. Uh, another couple of quick ones here as we wrap this up. Smoking in the dugout, in the clubhouse, <laughs> and in the stands. Yes. Uh, we, we mentioned him earlier, Jim Leland smoked in the dugout or he you know, wasn't supposed to. He'd usually go down the tunnel, but the camera would catch him. Uh, we've covered Earl Weaver, you know, with his special pocket in his jersey. Plenty of pictures of uh, of guys in black and white smoking in the clubhouse. Uh, so last week, I mean, you mentioned Harvey Haddix would, would have a cigarette in between every inning he pitched. Yeah, someone would fire one up for him. <laughs> Fire up that heater. A lung dart, if you will. Uh, Keith <laughs> Hernandez, my God, he smoked a lot in the clubhouse. I remember, though, going to A's games with my family, and, and we would have to specifically request a non-smoking section hmm, at the Coliseum. Uh, and then my final one is teams wearing the same uniforms for both games of a doubleheader. Now, we hmm. know my one of my bugaboos is I hate so many alternative jerseys. And there's been so many, you know, with COVID and, and so forth, there's been so many of these stupid short doubleheaders. And teams come out in completely different uniforms. I mean, I remember teams, guys coming out for the second game of the doubleheader, and they were still dirty because they were still wearing the same uniform as the first one. Yeah, absolutely. But now what a team will usually wear either, you know, a home white or a road gray for one of them and an alternate for the second one. I would love to just keep, let's just keep one uniform and, and look good. Uh, you, uh, you take the uniform thing very seriously. I do. So I don't mess with you on that. No, I, yeah, I'm very serious about that. All right. Think about it. Uh, listeners, send us a list. If you've got some things now we're starting here. If, if you're uh, a little bit older than us, I mean, you're probably in hospice, but uh, if you want to send us something from be, before the mid eighties that you remember, 
But regardless of that, just let, let's get a list. Let's see what people remember from when they really started getting into baseball that you don't see anymore. So go ahead and send us send us a list. Uh, if you've got anything to add to this, and maybe we can revisit this in a couple episodes and see what some of uh, some of our listeners might have come up with as well. All right, Mark, let's head into our final segment of the show. It is uh, the, the segment that uh, people seem to like. We open up some old baseball cards and do some stuff with them. It is a segment that we call, and uh, we have for quite some time now, Wax Packs Heroes. Wax Pack Heroes! All right, so I came up with a win last week. I I, th- I tend to win about once every five games we play, which does not... I mean, that's about what the Yankees are doing right now uh, to start the season, which is really sad for us, I know. We're going to pick up here. Now, we're playing to 20 again. You won the first season. Right now, you are leading 18 wins to my 11. So I am really need to pick it up here because you could theoretically wrap this title up by next week uh, if if you win both. Uh, I've got a couple of packs of 1991 Fleer again. Now remember, these are when Fleer uh, adds some weird packs. There are only nine cards in here, so this is going to be a down and dirty and quick one. But we scored pretty high last time using these, so let's see just what we get. If this is your first time here, we've got a couple of rules uh, as we as we open these packs, we're going to go ahead and we are going to uh, pull up the player's baseball reference war for the year of these cards. So we'll be using 1991. We'll use their war for that year. We've got a couple of additional points that can be earned if the player is wearing glasses of any sort. The flip downs that we mentioned earlier, regular sunglasses, reading glasses, Uh, Funny nose and mustache glasses. It does not matter. You will get an extra tenth of a point of war. If the player is sporting a mustache, uh, a lot of players did at this point, you get an extra tenth of a point of war. If it is a Hall of Fame worthy mustache, you're going to get an extra two tenths of a point of war. If you are wearing those sweatbands, which we also mentioned earlier, that have your caricature, a jersey number, or a logo of any sort of like McDonald's or something, we're going to give you an extra tenth of a point of war. If you're wearing real stirrups that we can see, you're going to get an extra tenth of a point. But if you are wearing those two-in-ones, we are going to subtract a tenth of a point because that is not a good look. And finally, if you have uh, since been inducted into the Hall of Fame, you're going to get a whole extra point of war for that. So, Mark, I got these two packs in my hand. I got one in my left, one in my right. These have clearly been opened before because the backs are flapping in the wind. Which of these would you like, my friend? I'm going left. Going left. All right, I'm going to have you go first, and uh, I will uh, bat in the bottom of the inning and see what we come up with. So let's open these bad boys. Uh, let's see. You've got a Dodger sticker, so I don't know. Nice. You know, defending World Series champs. Right. Might have the. It might have the best record in baseball right now. I'm not sure. Uh, so let's let's see what you got here. You're going to start off with Angels second baseman Bobby Rose. <laughs> Bobby Rose. Okay. Uh, so Bobby Rose, no relation to Pete or Pete Rose Jr. wasn't it? Wasn't it Pete Rose Jr. His son that like came up for a cup of coffee. Yes, Pete Jr. That's yeah. right. Uh, let's see. So Bobby Rose played for four years. All of that was with the Angels. 
uh, was just up. The most games he ever appeared in one season was 30, and that was in 92. In 91, though, he ended up with a positive, a 103 OPS plus, but that was only in 22 games. Uh, that equates to a war of 0.2. Uh, let's see. He does have the uh, the real stirrups going on here. So that, oh, you know what he's also got? He's also got one of those windbreakers on underneath his jersey. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> now, there's no extra points for that. But just, again, these are these are cards from that era. And that's what guys did. Now, the, the stirrups are nice. They're real stirrups. They also have the Angels logo on them, which is always a good look. I like that. But it also definitely means that you're wearing real stirrups when you can when you can see that. Something interesting about Bobby Rose, he graduated from San Dimas High School, made famous by Bill and Ted in their excellent adventure. Excellent! San Dimas High Football Rules, yeah. Yes, so in this case it was San Dimas High School Baseball Rules. There you go. Uh, Also uh, played in Japan for Yokohama, where he won a gold glove in 1998 at second base. And uh, wow. also, looks like he won the title in, ni- in 1998. It looks like Yokohama, I think, won the title. I don't want to. I don't want to be nicked if they didn't. Uh, he led the league with 192 hits, which was a Central League single season record until our buddy Nori Aoki surpassed it in 2005. Interesting. All right, next card is uh, infielder for the Buckos. It is Jeff King. So I'm getting the, just the bigger names. Yeah, well, you know, Jeff King played a lot. I think that Jeff King was always a good. He was a good, solid infielder, but yeah, you're not you're mm-hmm. not getting MVPs by any means. Jeff King was in the big leagues for 11 years, most of it with the Pirates, eight with the Pirates, three with the Royals to end his career. Uh, 91, he was, I got to guess he was injured because he was usually an everyday player. He only appeared in 33 games, slash 239, 328, 376 for a 99 OPS plus. That equals a war of 0.1. He's got some some extra stuff going on here. Uh, he does have the two and ones, but he's got flip downs and he's got a mustache. So that will actually let's see, that'll actually end up being a point two for you because of that. Was so, this was this one of the years he had that like massive, you know, Wyatt Earp mustache? Yes, yeah, it, it kind of goes nice. down, can, goes down to his chin. Something interesting about Jeff King. In the list of the 100 greatest Kansas City Royals of all time, he comes in at number 69. Uh, I thought you were going to say he comes in at number 108. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Ninth greatest Royal of all time, Jeff King. So here, here, this is now this is weird, but it's also somebody just retired from the Angels. I forget who he was. He was a pitcher, and he said he just didn't like baseball anymore. It didn't it wasn't fun. He didn't want to play. So hmm. here, it's reported that as soon as uh, Jeff King had played enough to activate his pension from Major League Baseball when it was fully vested, he retired that same day. So he disliked baseball so much, he was just waiting wow. for that pension to kick in, and then he retired. It's amazing. Every once in a while, you'll find one of these guys that's just fantastic at baseball and just doesn't particularly enjoy it. John Halama is another one. Oh, he was, he was like that too? I didn't know that. Solid pitcher, Major Leaguer, and in particular, enjoy playing the game. All right, so that brings you to point five. Uh, I hate to tell this, tell you this. Your next card is a checklist, so that's gonna. <laughs> Do I get that, everybody on there? That checklist has no uh, no value to you. Next, oh, you're gonna love to say his nickname. It's uh, the gentleman had the bad story about Ricky Henderson, but we, we will overlook it. It's Ron Kittle. Ron, Ma, and Pa Kittle. Yeah, so we've had. I think his kitty cat was his actual nickname, <laughs> but uh, Ron Kittle we've had several times. Rookie of the year in uh, 1983. 
He played for 10 years in the big leagues. In 1991 was his final year. He only appeared in 17 games for the White Sox. Not that productive. All that equals a war of minus 0.1. He does have those big glasses, those science teacher glasses. Guess what else he's sporting underneath his jersey? Another one of those shiny coats. Absolutely. This big puffy. It's like, remember in Seinfeld and, and the, the puffy, well, you had the both the puffy shirt and you had George in his big puffy jacket. George in his giant fat jacket. Yeah, yes. it's like he's wearing that underneath his jersey here in BP. Uh, so the minus point one of war will be wiped out by the glasses. So you will end up with uh, just a straight zero on that. But it's really weird that these are showing up right now. Uh, as, as we just brought this up. Uh, so now I mentioned that we've we've heard stories of Ron Kittle. He was on our uh, on our buddy Chris's podcast, the Turn of Pair Baseball podcast. And they talked about Kittle is a, is a woodworker and he makes collectible benches out of baseballs and bats and bases and all that stuff. And he's got a he's got a website. You can go and look at this. Some some really actually kind of cool stuff that uh, he does. So uh, talented off uh, off the diamond as well. He made a, a toilet out of protective cups. It's pretty impressive. <laughs> now, you'll like this. Okay. You'll, I made that up. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you'll <laughs> like this. Uh, during the early years of the, uh, there was a minor league team called the Schomburg Flyers of the unaffiliated Northern League. And during the early years of the franchise, uh, Kittle was the manager of this team. And he did a series of TV commercials for the team using the, the, the gimmick Ma Kittle, where he played both himself and Ma Kittle. And they were a takeoff of the Larry Johnson uh, Converse ads where he played himself in Grandmama. You remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. That is funny. So uh, he was part of, that would have been interesting to maybe we'll see if we can we can talk to him about that sometime. So that zero, you're still at point five next. You have got, here he is with the Pirates. It is pitcher Zane Smith. Oh, my gosh. Zane Smith, a fine lefty for Atlanta. Yep, Zane, we've talked about uh, heading those really fine 80s pitching staffs in Atlanta, those early 80s. 13 years in the, in the, in the big leagues for Zane. 1991, he was in Pittsburgh, had a good year. Went 16-10 and 10 with a 3.2 ERA. ERA plus of 112, led the league with, uh, for starters, with a 1.1 walks per nine, not bad. All of that leads to a war of 2.6. So that's, a, that's your first big okay. score there. Nothing on this card is going to get you anything. Uh, he's got some good lettuce hanging out of the back of his hat, but we're not giving anything extra for that. All right, next card is a infielder, another just utility infielder here with the Giants, Ernest Riles. Ernie. Oh, did he play for uh, Texas? I certainly remember him most for the Giants. He was no, on that. he was an Astro. That's right. It wasn't Texas. It was. Uh, he played for the Astros for one year, mainly yeah. uh, Milwaukee and San Francisco is where he spent okay. most of his time. Also, I remember one year with the with the A's in '91. He was basically a utility infielder. Not much with the bat. Uh, 75 OPS plus this year, and that equates to a WAR of .4. Uh, he's got a mustache. Uh, he's got real stirrups, so you're going to get a .6. Oh, wait, did I say he's got a mustache? Because I don't think he does. No, he does not. He must oh, have no. shaved it off. I seem to remember him having it. But he's got, he's got uh, sweatbands, though, with uh, no logo on it. It says Franklin, or no, Cooper on it. But that's not the kind of logos we're looking for. So you're going to get an extra tenth of a point of war. So that will be a .5. It's better than a kick in the head. 
Next mm-hmm. uh, pitcher for the Mariners, it's Mike Schooler. We've had him before. Oh, uh, the Schooler, the the one time closer for the Mariners. Yeah, let's see. So Mike Schooler in uh, 1991, one of his five seasons with the Mariners. He was not a closer this year. He only had seven saves. All of that equates to an ERA plus of 113, and that is a war of 0.6. He does have the two and ones in here, though, on here, though, so that's only going to be a plus 0.5. Of course. This is not a high-scoring pack for you. All right, you're down to your final card of the pack. You're at 4.1. Yeah, there's there's not a lot of cards in these packs, so it's probably not very high-scoring. Your final pitcher, rounding out your pitching staff, is Joe McGrain. Oh, yeah. Joe McGrain, who we've had a number of times on our Wax Pass Heroes. Yep. Lefty. In the league for a good amount of time. Eight years. 1991, though, I hate to tell you this, he was injured. So, well, I mean, you're not going to go. Well, you could go backwards if he's got two and ones, but it looks like he's got real stirrups on. So <laughs> you are going to get at least a tenth of a point out of this uh, because he did not play. So we can't give him any war for that year. Interesting note, his daughter, Shannon, was a finalist in the 11th season of American Idol. Do you remember that? I never watched American Idol in my life. I did for a while, and I remember this because I remember they mentioned that she was Joe McGrain's daughter. And that, of course, perked my interest. But that's, uh, that is your pack. Not a great Boy, one, my friend. That was a special one, wasn't it? Yeah, so that's a 4.2. Well, it's Jackie Robinson. It was Jackie Robinson Day last week. You got a 4.2 in honor of Jackie Robinson. Right. It was intentional. <laughs> All right, so we're going to open up my pack. I have got a nice Philly sticker, and this is an older, you know, it's the old uh, kind of maroonish logo with a P and the ball in the middle. At the, I, I like that. All right, yeah. I'm going to start off with a pitcher. I, don't, I believe he is no longer uh, with us. Pitcher for the Padres, Ed Whitson. Ed Whitson, yeah. Boy, I couldn't tell you a whole lot about him. I remember his name. I, I think I just remember getting a lot of his columns when I was collecting. So Ed Ed Lee Whitson, for some reason, I always know his full name. We've talked about him plenty of times before. Uh, won a legendary bar fight with Billy Martin uh, <laughs> when Billy was managing the Yankees and, uh, and Ed Lee was on said Yankee team. 1991 was his final year in the big leagues. Uh, uh, he was pitching for the Padres again. Of his 15 years, he spent eight with the Padres. He went four and six that year, ended up with an ERA plus of 76. All of that equals a war of minus 0.8. Ed, you're killing me. Let's see. He has got some real stirrups on here, though, and he's got a mustache. So at least it's only a uh, minus 0.6 to start out with, but still not not a good way (laughs) to start out with. All right, next, I've got another pitcher, uh, kind of timely. His his son is definitely in the big leagues. Here is Lance McCuller Jr.'s father with the Tigers. Lance McCullers. How'd you get the name right? How did I, how did I know what his... Yeah, Lance uh, McCuller Jr.'s dad's name is what? Oh, <laughs> Lance McCullers. Yeah, so Lance McCullers, I don't remember him so much with the Tigers. Uh, but here he is. I remember him mainly with the Padres. Uh, let's see, Lance McCullers Sr., seven years in the big leagues. Not going to help me out a whole lot because 1991, he was injured. So I'm going to get nothing there. He does have real stirrups on. Really a thick guy. He is uh, not somebody I would probably want to charge the mound on. Uh, his nickname, mm-hmm. I think we, we mentioned this before, uh, nickname Baby Goose, uh, as he was on a, a team with Rich Goose Gossage and kind of looked like him a little bit. But all I'm going to get out of that is a plus one. 
for the real stirrups. Not a, not a whole lot of help. Next, I have got pitcher. I got a lot of pitchers here. Pitcher for the Dodgers, Jim Needlinger. Needlinger, yeah. Needlinger. Um, I can never say his name right. I remember, I remember him pitching for Albuquerque and for the Dodgers. Yep, here he is with the Dodgers. Uh, I think we had him just a week or so ago. Uh, didn't pitch in 1991. His only year in the big leagues was 1990. And uh, actually had a pretty good year. I'm, I'm guessing he must have gotten hurt, never made it back. In 1990, his only year in the big leagues, he appeared in 12 games, 12 starts, 3.28 ERA, an ERA plus of 113, struck out 46 and walked 15, but never made it back to the big leagues. That's pretty good numbers. Uh, but nothing, nothing stat-wise, he does have a mustache, so I will get a tenth of a point as I'm just chipping back to the positive. All right, next I got another pitcher, believe it or not, with the Red Sox, Jeff Gray. Any relation to Sonny? Uh, no, this is spelled G-R-A-Y. Okay, then no. Let's see, there are multiple Jeff Grays that have played in the big leagues. This Jeff Gray appeared in uh, the big leagues for three years, two of which were with the Red Sox. He was he actually stayed up for the whole year in 1990, actually pitched Appeared in 50 games, 2.34 ERA, not too bad, 186 ERA plus. So I might get a positive here, a war of 2.0, oh my goodness, 2.0. He is wearing the infamous two and ones though, so that'll just get me a 1.9, but that is clearly my best card of, of the pack so far. I am now at 1.5. Uh, let's see, what was your, your final score was a 4.2, so I'm still within striking range. Uh, oh, got yeah. another pitcher. Another one. <laughs> I have had all pitchers so far. This one is Roy Smith with the Minnesota Twins. Roy Smith, the former coach of the Kansas Jayhawks? Uh, no, probably not. Do not know. You're talking basketball, I think. So that is <laughs> yes, not, yes. not something Williams, I like to dabble in. It's Dean Smith and Roy Williams. I was just being, never mind. Oh, you can edit that. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have caught it. Uh, 1991, final year in the big leagues, he appeared with the Baltimore Orioles in 17 games. He started 14 of them, went 5-4, and four, ERA over 5, ERA plus of 71, and that equates to a war of minus .8. My gosh, man. Roy, uh, he does have real stirrups on, if that's of any help, so I will only minus .7, but I'm going to be, I'm just looking to break even uh, in this game. I don't think we've ever had a final score in the negative, Jeff. You might want to shoot for a record here. Yeah, I'm going to put my record book, my name in the record book somehow, because uh, I'm definitely not, uh, definitely not winning anything. All right, next, uh, you'll never guess what position my next card plays. I'm going to go with pitcher. Right on. Uh, one of the rare Roger McDowell cards where he is not goofing off or wearing a tool belt or something. Here he is in 1991 with the Phillies. He's looking good in this uniform. Roger McDowell, the second spitter. Maybe an upcoming rule for a new season is if you appeared in a Seinfeld episode, you get some extra points. Ooh, yeah. I mean, there's a handful. Yeah, there, there are. You have Yankees and Mets. Uh, let's see. Of course, Roger McDowell was on that 1986 World Series team with the Mets in 1991. Uh, actually played for the Dodgers that year. Had a pretty good year out of the bullpen. Six and three. 2.55 ERA. Didn't strike out a lot, didn't walk a lot of guys, ended up with an ERA plus of 142, and that equates to a war of 1.4. Oh, a positive number. Uh, let's see here. He's got some real stirrups on. He's got, he's got the Phillies uniform with the, the logo that matches the sticker I drew, which is a really nice look. 
Uh, so I will get a positive 1.5 out of that. That'll bring my total up to 2.3 with only uh, two cards left to go. So it's it's getting getting tight. So Roger McDowell, of course, was a huge uh, jokester. I know he's got one baseball card where he's wearing a, a tool belt with a whole bunch of uh, whole bunch of stuff on it. Uh, we mentioned the uh, the Seinfeld episode with the second spitter. That episode is actually called The Boyfriend because Keith Hernandez who ends up dating uh, Elaine on several of the MTV rock and jock softball teams. Do you remember those? I, I used to I love do. to watch those. He used to wear like a Trojan helmet. Yeah. Let's see, it weird. says it said he would often don humorous costumes such as kilts and wigs. Yeah. He also took part in an on-field mariachi band and wore earrings in the clubhouse to protest owner Marge Schott's ban of earrings. I like him even more. Yeah, any, anybody that's going to mess with Marge Shot, I'm on board. Also a professional in the art of giving hot foots. Hot feet? I don't <laughs> know what course, the plural yeah. of that would be. but All right, so I am at 2.3. I've got two cards left, and my first position player is outfielder DH. This guy played forever, and we've talked about him many times. Brian Downing of the California Angels. Brian 10 Downing Street. Gotta love this. Yeah. Now, Brian Downing has a card. He came up with the White Sox in the early 70s. I mean, this guy played forever. He played for 20 years. And wow. this card that I'm thinking of, he's on the White Sox. He's just got one of those nacho uh, batting helmets, you know, no ear flaps. He's got some really ugly glasses on because he wore glasses at that point. And he's just got this like haircut. It's like a bowl cut sticking out of it. And it is it looks like he just got out of a van. And like when he got out of the van, a whole bunch of smoke came out of it as well. Just a, a great looking card. Uh, 1991, not a bad year for a 40 year old in the league. Appeared in 123 games, had 17 home runs, always walked a lot, walked 58 times. On base of uh, 377, an OPS plus of 132. And that equates to a war of 2.6. Wow. Wow. That's going to put me in the lead with one card left. You know, at 40, this dude is still ripped. Really? Yeah, he is a big dude. That is, uh, that's a good looking card. One of the great leadoff hitters of all time. Yeah, not your prototypical leadoff hitter. I mean, that's just not what you think of uh, when, I mean, this big burly guy that could hit home runs, but he walked a lot. Uh, that brings me up to 4.9 and puts me in the lead with one card left, so... Uh, let's see how this last one goes. I think I'm going to be okay. It is, I've got my second card in this pack and only my second position player who is the father of a current big league player. This is not a senior though. It is just Dante Bichette. Ah, yes. Dante with, uh, Colorado at that point. Uh, he's with the angels here. Uh, I remember him with Colorado. I think he, he came up with the Angels. I remember he spent a couple of years in Milwaukee, and he ended his career in Boston. Overall, a 14-year career. Uh, led the league in a lot of categories when he was in Colorado. In 1991, though, he it was his first year in Milwaukee. Had an okay year. Uh, he was a power hitter, not much average. On base of only a 272, not that great. OPS plus of 84. So let's see what we got here. All that equates to a war of 0.1. So I will pull it out. He's got real stirrups. That'll be a point two for that. And that brings me to 5.1 for my total. 
which leads me, I'm on a hot streak. I'm going to go buy some lottery tickets. That is two in a row for me and bumps my win total to 12 versus your 18. I've still got a lot of work to go, but uh, overall, my, my pitching heavy staff has come out victorious. Not, you know, I may have to call for a recount or maybe we can check with baseball reference and see if they can check these numbers for us. Yes, <laughs> got to get the, uh, the independent accounting firm of Deloitte and uh, whatever that does the Oscars or whatever. We need to need to do this as well. But uh, there you have it. My pitching heavy staff. Uh, no, no Hall of Famers on either team, but uh, I pulled mm. out the victory. Uh, first of all, really, again, want to thank all of our listeners for listening each week. We really do appreciate it. If you would like to get a hold of us, you can find us several places. First of all, you can find us at Two Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, also, you can find us on YouTube. Mark, I think we're going to try something next week. I believe we are going to try to do this podcast live on Twitch, which is free. Anybody wow. can watch us. You can watch us uh Maybe watch us do this. Maybe we'll have some interaction after the show, but you can watch how many times we mess up, how many times uh, we have to say something uh, twice or go back and fact check us before I can edit it out and you hear it uh, as you are hearing it now. But uh, I think we're going to start we're going to try to start to stream some of these podcasts live as we record them. And then you can go back and listen to them once we you know, release them into the wild as we normally do and see how much we had to cut. But uh, we're going to I think we're going to try that. So we'll we'll send out that information on uh, all of our social media. We've already got a Twitch channel. It is just two strike noise, TWO strike noise. So maybe go and follow us there so you can see when we go live there. It will be sometime during the weekend. We usually record these Saturday or Sunday sometime during the day. So be on the lookout for that. That could be something that could be a train wreck or it might be a little bit of fun. Uh, do you also want to <laughs> we might be uh, destroying the mystique that we are as intelligent as yes. we are, except there is no mystique like that. You can see how it takes us three hours to record an hour long <laughs> podcast. Uh, Mark, they can also get a hold of us via email. You want to tell them how? Yeah, write to us. We are at two strike noise. Spell it out. T.W.O. Strike noise at gmail.com. All right. Well, thanks again, everybody, for listening. Uh, if you have not rated and reviewed us wherever you're listening to us, it really helps out if you want to do that. But uh, if you don't like what you've heard, just send us a private email. It's probably better just to do that than to give us a bad rating. <laughs> bad rating. But uh, nonetheless, we'd love to hear from you one way or the other. And we'd also like to see you next week on our next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. 